friend, Steve What gets me up at 5 o'clock in the morning for the last 34 years to do my job? What makes you tick? What motivates you? What inspires you? I'm going to tell you my path and my journey to success because I consider myself successful in this field and able to sustain a level that's pretty high. And if you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm going to do my best every day, and I'm going to try to be in the top 10% in my field, you'll be successful in every way, shape, or form. From the money end of it, to your self-esteem, to being able to help people. Because think, this place is like, it's like the Cheesecake Factory as far as a menu is concerned. You have so many options, okay? The, the, the training theory, the hard work this guy's put into putting together the books, the DVDs, the equipment, the facility, the structure that's in place, okay? You have it all at your fingertips. Now, what are you gonna do with it? What, what's your path? I'm gonna tell you what my path was. I was eight years old, living in Pennsylvania at the time. My father almost drops dead of a heart attack, okay? The rest of his life was cardiac bypass, carotid bypass, stroke and aneurysm and dead at 62 and I was 25 years old. So I watched my father sick. And you, I know you can relate to that. Okay, so that, that inspired me to get into a field that was going to be healthy. I played football, I played basketball, I played baseball in high school. I had a college scholarship to Hofstra. Busted my shoulder, didn't like the PE program. Left, had an operation, went to community college for four years. Dean's list, thought about changing careers, the career path. I got into SUNY Binghamton in a management science program. And I was going to work for IBM. One semester, I was out of there. I took one PE course while I was there. It was called Running to Awareness. <laughs> We're running through the hills of Binghamton. Okay, and there's, we, it's a 10 mile run. And in the middle of it, the professor stops the class to talk to some old man who was on the street. And he had a twinkle in his eye, and he's like 90 years old, I kid you not. And he, we parted ways, I started jogging, and I look, and I see this 90 year old guy running across the street. The next day, I was in my car, and I drove to Portland, New York one of the finest physical education programs in the country. In the next two and a half years, I spent there immersed in gathering knowledge to pursue a career in this field, okay? And it was, it was not much out there at that point in, in 1980, but I, wanted, I didn't want to ever deviate from what I loved and I was passionate about. So I, I stayed an extra semester for some grad courses, wrote a paper on the difference between free weight training and machines in an exercise science class, exercise physiology at a grad level. And I knew that I wanted to get into this field. So I graduate, I go back to Long Island. I'm working in a 
fitness facility that's got 20 foot racket, ball cords, it's got the whole gig. Within three months, the floor trainer became the fitness director. And his staff of about 25 people underneath me had a karate program, a nutrition program, and I really enjoyed that challenge, except it wasn't training people. So I put my year or two in there, and then I started coaching football. And it was a varsity football program. I, was, I always worked at night in the nightclub business, moonlight from age 18 to 26. So I always had that money on the side, but got into the football, realized that it was kind of a dead end for me, and that there was no money in that field at that, at that point, not like there is today, or opportunity. So I stumbled into a fitness equipment store. You guys, it's Christmas time, you guys struggling with it. I said, do you need help? He said, sure. So I started managing this fitness equipment store, and then people would come in, and they'd buy the treadmill and some freeways and machine, blah, 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 blah. And it was, it was like retail hours, 10 to 6. I don't know what to do with this stuff. I just bought all this equipment. I said, well, I'm free in the morning. <laughs> or I'm free after 6. That's how I got into personal training. And then I started getting really busy early in the morning, and really busy late at night. And I said, you know what, this is a pretty good career. This, 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 I was sinking my teeth into the saying, geez, I, I think I can do this and go. Before you know it, I was all over Long Island, building up a business and personal training, home clientele, a few dungeon gyms, and I said, this, this is good, except, it was the Rapids. It was the New York metropolitan area. So I said, maybe I'll go down to Florida and see if I can give this a shot. And um, I came down here, did that one client, ended up uh, at the Boca Power Plant, which was, you know, at that time, 1988, it was kind of an up and coming gym, and there weren't a lot of them now. Compared to now, there were not a lot of facilities. Now it's saturated. But they didn't have structure. So it was kind of like a flea market of, of trainers. They'd just come in and camp out all day. And they, the club wasn't benefiting from it. So I went to the ownership and said, let me set up an office here, and I'll do all the fitness evaluations on the new members, and I can pitch them on training, and we'll start to get some trainers in here, Funnel the money back into the club. And it, it worked out fairly well. So I met Carlos. Carlos was in a bar business at the time, had a young son. And I said, This, this can work. This can work. Except so now I want to do my own thing. My college roommate, his brother played professional football, and a client of mine wanted to invest. And it was and I'm going to give you the mistakes that I made along the way, too. I was definitely undercapitalized and way over my head when I opened the facility on South Federal Highway, okay, called the Drug Confidence Center. And that, that was the start of nine years of gym business for me. And initially, it was great. I sublet space to a really good physical therapist, uh, 
World Pond Yacht and Country Club did not have a fitness center, so we got some really good affluent uh, clientele, and it was, it was a really cool experience. And then, you know, the vision was to provide the best type of training out there. And it's, it's kind of hit or miss, because some people are not motivated. And I didn't, I didn't really like the management part of it, because I like to train people. From a purist standpoint, that's what I like to do. So when I got into having an office manager, having a front desk staff, and worrying about the operations end of it, and I had partners, but I'm, just, I'm not going to say anything negative, but they're, they can only be good for dancing. So, <laughs> and then, yeah, I, had, I had a trainer stealing money from me. I fired him. I called Carlos up. He came into the facility, and and it was it was just a. He's he's one of the finest people I know because of his thirst for knowledge. Okay, his innovative mind, willingness to work. Okay, and then give back in his field. How do you build a clientele or nothing? We went to every youth sports program in town. Sabre Soccer, Boca Hoops, St. Andrews School. We put together programs at, at coaches' conferences, and we networked that way. That, that's just one vehicle of networking. We met all the doctors in town that we can talk to. And you, this is the relationship business. If you cannot form relationships with people, where they trust you and believe in you, you'll never make it. So, you know, all the technology that's available is great, it's a tool. But you have to be able to look people in the eye, okay, and develop a relationship with them, and build a trust, and they will refer you anybody and everybody they know. So it's kind of a word of mouth thing still. And believe me, it takes time, but it's worth it. I, 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 before I came here, I was at Whitehall visiting a man that I trained for 20-something years. He's 90 years old. What I wouldn't do to be able to bring him back in here and train him again. You see, there's nothing wrong with him here. He's in a wheelchair. And, and don't ever, ever take for granted what you're capable of doing for people, okay? He had double knee replacement. And I've had numerous people that have had all kinds of medical issues and surgeries and, and things that, you know, would knock somebody down. But you're the ones that can make the difference, okay? And I, I never expected it. Uh, age 32, to be driving across the state with my wife and two young kids, blurred vision, like going off the road, going to Bush Gardens, and then coming home, going to the doctor's system. And you your blood sugar is like 600 and something, 80 to 120 is normal. You're type 1 diabetic at 32 years old. Challenge. It's a challenge. It's, they don't have a cure for it. So you better learn how to manage it. 
which I've tried and I've done. Okay? Fast forward 10 years later, right around this time of year, I'm, I'm 42 years old, I'm training some tennis players, I'm getting ready for the US Open. I go in for a routine physical. Doctor palpates my neck. I don't like what I'm feeling. Okay. He goes, go to the US Open, work with your clients. When you come back, I want you to go get a biopsy and blah, 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 blah. So the whole time I'm in New York, feeling this lump on my neck, which I hadn't felt before. Of course, it's thyroid cancer that had spread into the lymph nodes of my neck. <clears throat> November 1 will be 16 years where I had a radical neck dissection where they cut me down and around, removed my thyroid and 19 lymph nodes. Okay. The word cancer, when you're told you have it, will change you. Changes the way you treat people, the way you look at people, the way you deal with people, and um, how you're gonna live your life. <clears throat> I cried when my wife took me to the gym, just so I can pull up to the facility and see that I can get back to work. Okay, so I, you see me smile, because I love people. Okay. And I, I, I was in a place where Y2 Fitness, where they basically intellectually castrated me. Okay. Saw me doing statues with a client. What are you doing? Yeah. You know, what do you think? So I wasn't even at a happy place gym wise. Just made the best of it. This guy called me up and reached out and said, Come here. Best thing that ever happened. Because I know where I started, okay? And I know where I want to finish. I want to finish my career here. Because I have everything that I need here. This guy embraced me. Griffin embraced me. He was a young black job. <laughs> I love watching him train people. Because he's got, he's got a mind for this thing. Does beautiful workouts with people. He encourages me. You know, I'm in an environment that I'm constantly stimulated. Okay, not in a gym where they, they shoot you down. They don't think that you're doing the right thing. So I, I feel that at 58 years old and 34 years in, I still can learn. I'm never bored. I don't get up in the morning and say, Ah, I got to go to work. Okay, I feel like there's no limits to, to what I can do. And I, don't, I don't think you guys have any limits either. It's, it's what path do you want to take and where do you see yourself? Some of you are in the early stages of this. Some of you are, you know, heading towards your prime. But it, it's an ongoing process. And, and then how do you relate to people? Do they feel like you care about them? Okay, and you gotta keep your distance too, because they'll wanna save you. Okay, because you're only a personal trainer. Why don't you learn how to become an investment banker? Come, come join my company. You know, which is BS. And again, I, I never, I have not deviated since 1980. So I, I don't wanna change careers. 
So you, you have to maintain a little bit of a distance, yet come across in such a way that you're here for a purpose, you're going to deliver the message, and you're going to help them. Okay? There, there are times when <coughs> you're going to have to confront somebody. And I've had to do it. And it, it, it's, it's hurt me in a lot of ways, including financially. But if they have an addiction problem, and you just let it blow over, and they have psychological problems, they have medical problems, they're in denial. You know, you have a, a moral and ethical responsibility to say, hey, you know, get some help. Okay, until I can't really help you. They may come in and one day and say, I hate my life, I hate this gym. What are you, you going to do? I had to cut somebody loose because you know what? They affect my business. They affect this gym. And I don't want anybody doing that. So, you know, you got to know when to cut the cord, too. I had a client tell me he was going to kill himself. And he did. I knew he was getting psychiatric care, psychological care. He was seeing a, a clergyman. Still killed himself. So, you know, it's a roller coaster ride. And you got, you got to be prepared for anything and everything. But you, you got to keep your eyes wide open and your ears open in this business. Because if they don't think that you care, they're on to the next gym. Questions so far? Who was, uh, what, was, what was your toughest in the business, and what was your toughest, uh, I guess, toughest time? Was it like when you opened up the gym? Was it getting started down here? If you had to, if you had to say what was the toughest one for you, what would, what would that be? The toughest things are the things that you don't have control over. You know, I, when I first went into Rock Pond Fitness, it, it's a Class A corporate building. My rent is 5,500 bucks a month. That's just the rent. Okay, so, and and, and uh, was fully occupied at a concierge service, a, a, a luncheon downstairs. It was, it was a happening place. So we had a good role for a while. And, and you, see, you see the trend in this businesses. The first three to five years, boom. Everybody's excited, everything's good. Well, when Merrill Lynch decided that they were going to build their own building and leave, that took, I took a hit on that. So I had a payroll deduction plan in place with X number of members. And then some took training. It was cross-country healthcare, a big healthcare personnel company also involved in <coughs> payroll deduction and training, you know, if it were today, it would be group training, because that's really a trend. Uh, so the building went from being 100% occupied down to maybe 60% occupied. So that, that was uh, a huge, huge problem. And, and, they, and they, the management company was not filling it up quickly enough for me. And then the relationship with the physical therapist was got strained too because he went from doing the, just the PT and then letting me do the reconditioning work 
to get more equipment in his place, and then they were they weren't referring. I gave them a reduced rent rate based on referrals. So you know, it was a bad relationship. So you know, I should have probably had a lawyer and handled it differently. But the handshake thing was how I do business. So this is more of a, a statement than a question, and I think you're talking about relationship building with trainers. It's taken me a while to learn this, and even with Carlos's spirit motion and spirituality that he's gotten into, and I think smoothing all of our, our staff is much younger than myself and Carlos, and I think one thing that you guys have to really, really take away is that it's great to be able to progress and regress and push up. It's great to be able to look at a reaching lunge and know what's good and what's bad, but I don't think our industry is about three sets of 12. I think it's about the relationship that you build with your client. At the end of the day, when I'm tired, it's not because I was on the gym floor. It's because I dealt with five, six, seven different personalities, and every one of those hours, someone new is unpacking their life onto me. And it's almost like I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about finding some sort of program where I can get a little bit more into the psychology of things. Because that's, I think, what our industry is getting to. It's a lot of people unpacking their stuff onto us. And again, it's, it's about building those relationships. You have to have a good relationship. Because the more they unpack, the more they're probably going to come back. Because they trust you. They see you look at them in the eyes. So understand, yes, exercise is a tool. Uh, but building a relationship is going to keep them coming back. That's yeah. huge. But don't try to be all things to all people. You know, the more you the tentacles spread out, stretch, and set up your network of people that you can rely on for psychiatric care, psychological care, nutrition advice, medical advice, okay? And, and these are people that you may be training and you and refer to people. So the more professionals you can get affiliation with and a relationship with, the better off you're going to be. And then you know, rely on each other a little bit too. And don't be afraid to ask a question or, or say, hey, look, you know, I'm not the lacrosse guy. I'm certainly not a baseball guy. He is. So if they come to me, I'm not going to. You know, I'm not into it. I'll, I'll, I'll admit that. So I, I don't have a problem saying this is this guy's expertise. You know? Um, Steve, you and I came up in an era where uh, we didn't have social media. We didn't have, I mean, the websites. I had my first website done. Was he one of your investors? Did he pass away eventually? Talk about it, used to train? Mike. Mike? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. His investor was an IT guy, was a computer guy, and he's the one that started my first website. So he and I come up like right before all of that. How much of your business was and still is personal communications, referrals, that kind of stuff, outside of any electronic surveillance or hope or, or uh, you know, or, or you know, fishnet that you might send out. 
embarrassingly, it's probably about 90%. And I do go on Instagram and uh, watch you know, from the IHP things. And I'm not on Facebook. Um, you know, I just, I don't, I don't, I can still sustain a high level of uh, income producing stuff, so I don't, I don't have the time for it. So I do a little bit of it, but I would rather go to somebody and say, I want you to do this exercise. What do you think of this technique? And we're, we're technicians. We better be good at what we're doing. We better be able to communicate clearly and concisely with people. They don't want to hear a train of battle. But they, want, they need to know how to do an exercise correctly. So the, the more you can hone your skills from a technical standpoint, the better you are at communicating, and then getting results, setting them up for success. That's our job, to set them up for success. And then have a plan B and C intact too, because you can have the best program ready to go, they walk in the door, and it's like, my knee hurts today, my back hurts today. So you better be able to adjust and adapt, just like that. If they didn't come here, and I did not work out, you can't, can't be so narrow with what you're trying to do. I don't know. What do you feel is your biggest strength or biggest weakness when it comes to this industry? Like biggest, it could be on floor or off floor. What do you think is the biggest strength, biggest weakness? There's a lot of, there's a lot of garbage exercises out there. Service Act stuff. We've seen it all you know, over the years. But, you know, let me ask you guys how do you measure fitness? How do you measure fitness? How am I going to become more fit? It's really pretty simple. Work done per unit of time. So, when you set up these little circuits, you know, triplexes and, and, and the stuff he's doing with the martial artists and such, they feel a sense of accomplishment when they walk out the door. So when you, when you design and structure your routines, I hope that these people walk out the door feeling, man, I, I did a lot of work. And you can measure it. Measuring, you know, mileage and poundage and whatever. But uh, the bottom line is, you're gonna work when you come in here. And that's what's inspiring to me is to see people working. Okay, and I can get into the, you know, uh, the other stuff of running the gym, and, and and I'm not gonna bash you guys, but people want to see you cleaning. Okay, not him wiping the, you know, the countertops in the bathroom. Right? And, I, and I did all that. I know what it's like. He's, he's broke his ass to keep this roof over everybody's head. So if you need to clean, clean. No questions asked. It's, this is your house. Check your ego at the door, okay? And work hard. And know every facet that you can of this business, whether it's the front desk operation, sales, Training, 
operational stuff, the more you know, okay, the more capable you are of helping yourself and the people that come here. So, you know, this is my home away from home. And I enjoy being here. I hope you guys, you know, do too. This is a good place. Steve, I, I still want to know the answer. What do you feel is your, your, your biggest strength? Steve, kind of up. What is your biggest strength and what is your biggest weakness? What is, at this point of your career, you've got 30 plus years in, what is your weakest point? What is the thing that you're still working on? And what is your strength, which is what got you here? loving what I did, and the strength is loving what I did, um, the, 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 the path, the journey, the process is something that I have always embraced and will continue to embrace, and, you know, I, I graduated from college, NSCA certification, you know, as a certified strength and conditioning specialist. USA track and field. Why would I want to become a track coach? No. I have a fascination with what makes somebody faster. How can I help them with speed training? So Carlos and I went to the University of South Carolina and took the USA track and field course. Okay? What, what's my fascination with power? We went and took the USA weightlifting club coach course. It happened to be in Atlanta in 1996. Dr. Rabbit took it too. <laughs> we got to use the Olympic weights that the uh, Olympians were using. And then got, got to watch track and field at night. In the Olympic trials going on. Flo Joe, Carl Lewis, Michael Johnson, all the superstars in that field. Uh, and then, you know, the success thing, the passion, the for me, it was also tennis because when I moved here, I wasn't a tennis player, okay, but I, I started training a lot of tennis players. The coaches would come, the parents would come and say, it's a pretty good sport. Now, I always liked it to go to the US Open when I went to New York, but yeah, I'd bang the ball around like a block. I wasn't going have fun. I took lessons, okay? I got good enough that I could take the USPTA certification test to, to be a legit coach that's certified and insured. Okay, I can talk the lingo with the coaches. I can get paid to go out and play with people. So I got some outdoor activity. Got to, my competitive life is not over anymore. So if I can go out and beat somebody, it makes me feel good, <laughs> even at this age. So, and I'm not ready for golfing. It's, it's too time, it requires so much. It's, it, whoever plays golf in here knows that you're going to have to put hours and hours in. So, you know, having the ability to embrace a sport, be legit as a, as a teacher, has helped me too. It's, it's got me out the door a little bit because. It, when I owned the gym, I would get a little bit of cabin fever. I could have had a gym in Alaska. It didn't matter. I was there at the crack of dawn, and I left, and it was dark out. And believe me, I did everything I could to keep that place going. So I had it for nine years. The first five or six were good. 
the last three were bad. I sold my freaking car to pay my employees. I rode a bike for a few months. That's how bad it was. That's the low point. The low point is I had crappy partners, and, and I, I should have stayed with this guy, okay, and kept the bond going, kept the business bond going. But in my heart of hearts, I, I knew, he doesn't know this, but I'm going to tell you guys today that, and I fired him, and Gary and, and Diane was in it. But in a way, it was me knowing that he didn't have to deal with these idiot partners that I had. And he needed to, he needed to be free, because he, I knew he was going to be a star, okay? I had, I had the albatross. I had the bad partners. I had diabetes, okay? I had stress up to here. Okay, now, now you come full circle, okay? He's kept this place going. And I'm grateful for it. I've had to sell my shit to pay, to pay, to pay the salaries. Then I got the albatross, and he's like, no, no, I don't even know you're No, you've kept this place open, Carlos, in ways that people in this room do not know how you kept this place open. Yeah. So that, that in and of itself should be commended about keeping a roof over our heads and keeping us all there's a fine line between stupidity and uh, well, you you cross it off, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even a line anymore. It's like <laughs> so, so the low point, the low point is is being in a facility, okay, all right, waiting for the moving men to come, hoping that the security in the building doesn't stop them because I was going to cash from the people that bought my equipment so that and I had no partners left at that point. They abandoned the ship completely. Okay, Naomi, <laughs> crazy Naomi was on the trend of meeting. It was the only one that showed up with a pizza or something as my head is down on a freaking prime because I knew it was over. And I gave it everything I could, I really did. But, um, I tried. So I know what it's like to have a gym. And I know what it's like to be successful in the gym business and fail in the gym business. So the failure part is that. Okay? The good part is I landed in a good place. Okay? And the highlights are sitting in a player's box, a coach's box, at the US Open, and somebody you're training is there opening night of the US Open, recover from leukemia and playing Serena Williams on national TV. A baseball player playing in a game seven in 1997 down in Miami with 65,000 people there. Okay, who you, who you train. And you know, you have goosebumps. So, you know, there's thrills. There's all kinds of thrills that you can experience. This guy with home run derby champions and high-level ball player for fighters. So, I mean, hey, look, I've, I've taken my share of lost causes, too, but that's a project. That's a challenge. Are you willing to take that challenge? Not everybody's going to win every fight or win every game, but 
when you make them part of the process that they're going to pursue with, with joy and passion and love. And, and I'm never going to grow up because th this field allows me to play. It allows me to stay young. And what's better than that? So be passionate. Love what you do. Go to work every day and feel like you can affect people in a positive way. Get to know people a little bit more. What makes them tick? Okay, and I'm not talking about little superficial snippets that you get via social media. Talk to them. Look them in the eye. Tell, tell me about Afghanistan. You know, tell me about the sports you played. And find out what makes people tick. You're, you're, I don't know what makes you tick, man. You're gonna sit off those caffeine drinks. Would you love helping people? And everybody has their own style and delivery and methods and, and be yourself. This, you know, this field allows for us to do that. Be respectful of the people before you, the history behind it people that have affected you, that have helped you. We, we had guys that uh, were dinosaurs, Rafael Guerrero, but the guy was an expert in Olympic weightlifting. So anything and everything that you can benefit by from their experience, you're like a sponge. Come on, suck it up and then pursue the knowledge and take it in. Because one little nuance on a power clean uh, can make a difference for somebody. But if you're not paying attention to them or you're not giving them those, you're not feeding them, okay? They don't need empty calories for their brain. They, they need substance. So be a person of substance in a generation that's kind of superficial. And, and, and I'm not pointing to anybody or, you know, my kids are 27 and 25. I don't think either one of them has read a book on the cover. But a master's degree and teaching at Pinecrest. And I'm proud of them. But, you know, you, you have to show you got some backbone and some substance. And, and again, it, it, it's all about the relationships and how you cultivate them and then sustain them. Because I don't want, I don't want huge turnover. I never did. I have a ton of clientele that I've had for 20, 25 years. What's better than that? I get a little slow. It's like, do you have anybody in your family or a neighbor or whatever that needs help? And then it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't always have to be the two, three, four time a week training session. It could be as simple as, hey, how's your workout going? As they're walking out the door, you need any help with it? The Judy Lynch thing. Once every three, four months, two in a row. You know, you get ten clients and you're doing a, you know, every three or four months or twice a year, you're redoing your training programs. Don't be afraid to ask. Okay? Don't be afraid to ask. It's, that's part of being successful is asking somebody, how can I help you? How are things going? Okay, you got, all of you have very nice personalities, okay? Don't, uh, don't 
right, and uh, what we were about to talk about uh, today, we'll talk about next week in this kind of emergency. So, uh, 